This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Michelle Stanley on ABC Radio WA. Hello, it's lovely to be with you this afternoon. You'll hear that reaction to the major decision for FMG today. The High Court throwing out FMG's request to appeal an exclusive native title determination in the Pilbara. And do you remember a few weeks ago here on the Country Hour, we spoke about farmers losing money to fake websites selling farm machinery. People were paying, but the machinery wasn't arriving. Unfortunately, those websites still exist and more people have lost money. You'll hear about that before the news at one o'clock. 0448 922 604 is the text line to be in touch today and join the conversation. If it's been raining all day where you are, you might be wondering how on earth today's country hour is going to focus on drought. But believe it or not, at least 170 landholders in Western Australia are still really struggling with dry conditions. And some have been in that situation for a very long time, hand feeding and watering their livestock. And I'm not just talking about the outback stations either. Surely you'll hear from a farmer in the far south of the state who's still in that situation. But first, let's head to Quabba Station. It's on the coast just north of Carnarvon. Tim Meacham runs Quabba and says it hasn't been this dry for this long in the station's history. Up until Monday, I hadn't put a, uh, I hadn't recorded a rainfall incident on the chart for over 10 months. And before that, you've got to go back eight years before we, uh, since we had a, our last average, average rainfall. So coming up to nearly a decade that you haven't really had a good season? Um, well, over the, over the last seven years, um, we've averaged 129 mil a year and our normal average is 220. So we're nearly, a, we're nearly halfway down on, on our average rainfall for the last seven years. And it's, um, look, it just seems to be a bit of a rain shadow from, from sort of Coral Bay down to down to Shark Bay and I, I do realise there's also some dry places over the other side of the Kennedy Range too. There's, uh, yeah, for some reason it, um, it it doesn't like us at the moment. You know, I fully expect it'll come round. This is the, the longest dry spell. There was a, back in the early 50s on the rainfall charts there, I think they had five years of well below average. So we're coming into, um, into this year will be eight years. We, we're getting closer, Michelle, to, a, to another shower and that's really the only way you can look at it. And it's a similar story a little further south. Murray Sivright is a pastoralist at Glen Station, north of Kew in the Murchison. He told Joe Prendergast he hasn't seen it this dry for more than 40 years. We've had 40, about 45 mils. And what has that done? I imagine 45 mils in one four would be quite beneficial, but 45 mils spaced out probably hasn't done a lot. Joe, that 45 mils is over a 10, 12-day period for the year. The biggest, the biggest fall we had out of all those was 6. Uh, 13 mils, sorry, and that was back in uh, February. And then, you know, you get 8 or 10 days, and then you get another uh, 3 or 4, which is absolutely worth nothing. And you're coming off a pretty dry 2019. You were telling me that you've had 
137 mils for 2019. So um, how are things looking, Mario? I imagine pretty dusty and dry. Uh, Joe, um, I said it to you 12 months ago. I've never seen it like this. And I'm going to say it again because I reckon it's worse now than what it was 12 months ago. Even the turpentine bushes now are, are dying, uh, whereas before the mulgas were, you know, the mulgas were dying. But now even the turpentine, you know, I didn't think anything could kill turpentine, but lack of rain does. Yeah. When did you last have a decent rain? We haven't had a winter since 2000. So we're, it's 20 years since we've had a winter rain. And, and this country here needs 50-50, you know, winter and summer rain. So to answer your question, it's been quite a while, Joe. You'll hear more from Maurice right at Glen Station shortly. It's 10 past 12 on the Country Hour. Michelle Stanley with you this afternoon. And I wonder what it looks like at your place. We've had a text on 0448922604. Someone saying, just because it is raining in Perth doesn't mean the rain is getting anywhere else inland. I wonder where you're sitting. It seems to be the case for a few people. I mean, some definitely are getting rain. We'll go through those rainfall totals shortly. But today on the Country Hour, you're going to hear from a number of people who just aren't and haven't been getting that rain for quite a long time. But I wonder just how many landholders are in that same predicament as Maurice Sivright and Tim Meacham. In the middle of last year, the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development visited about 170 properties which had serious water deficiency problems. Deep Herd's Bruce Mullen says, unfortunately, today... He hasn't been able to take many off that list. Fortunately, many of the pastoral stations that Deepert has worked with during last year, 2019, have had um, reasonable falls in the last wet season. But unfortunately, there are others who are now having to deal with their second dry in two years. So, so that's real tough. And there'll also be some pastoralists who had a reasonable year last year, but are now having to make some tough decisions this year as to their optimal stocking density, etc. going forward. So, yeah, there's a number of pastoralists who I think are in for some challenging times over these next 12 months. Do you know how many exactly, Bruce? Uh, James, it's a bit too early to do that. Talk about concrete numbers at this stage. Deep Herd has been uh, in contact with a number of producers during this last month, and um, I think we'll have a much better picture of the situation um, in a month or so. Could you give a rough percentage well, there's about 400 pastoral stations. Out of the total pastoral stations, we're probably looking at 10 to 20% that would um, be really making some, having to make some very difficult decisions right at the moment. And what about the remaining 90%? Well, a lot, a lot of those will have had good rain or they've made, already made good decisions uh, last year and, and uh, haven't really restocked. So the numbers haven't built up to the levels that would be putting a lot of pressure on. It's those that you know, might have had a good year last year and are now having to destock because they just haven't had a good wet season this last um, few months. And when we talk about all those pastoral leases, that's across the whole of WA, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, it's, a, it's a very big area. So it's no wonder that there will always be, be some pastoralists that have missed out and have been unlucky. And it's particularly tough for those that uh, miss out in successive years. As I say, it's too early for us to, to pinpoint that because we haven't been in contact with all of them. So we're going very much going off you know, rainfall charts, but that's only one part of it. You can have you know, lack of rainfall, but you may have really good infrastructure that provides you with good stock water, for example. So dangerous to go off just off rainfall figures because it depends on, um, as I said, the amount of uh, stock water you've got, 
in your management as to how you've managed stock feed um, over that time. Deeper Director of Livestock Research and Industry Innovation, Bruce Mullen, speaking with James Liveris there. It's not good news, is it? Especially when you consider long-term records show the climate is becoming warmer and drier. And so that is that trend is expected to continue with dry seasons likely to become more frequent for Western Australia. 13 past 12 on the country hour. Let's hear again from Tim Meacham at Quabba Station uh, because he says the drought on his property has dragged on so long he's now bored of the dry and windy conditions. Oh, look, yeah, I buddy, I've... Good luck to anybody that can get a shower of rain these days. And, and those fellas up, up further north, they, um, they did it tough for a few years there. To a while back, I mean, everyone's had a go at going through a dry period. Um, this just happens to be ours. And, and it's um, it's sort of dragging on a bit long. long. I'm getting a bit bored of it all. But, uh, yeah, look, you know, I guess the other thing that I've noticed really, and it's only anecdotal, is... Um, you know the the wind along the coast here. The the, the southerlies during summer appear to be coming. Uh, it's it's a longer windy season, and it's uh, it's certainly more intense, and there's it's faster and it's harder, and it goes for longer. And uh, and it just dries the vegetation out. Absolutely, just sucks all the moisture out of the out of the foliage, and uh, and that's when you get these dust storms and bloody sand drifts start moving and all the rest of it. But uh, look, this is just something else that's. That we haven't had to deal with before, and we're sort of we're trying to get a get a bit of a handle on it um, as it's happening. How are you managing it? Well, as you can imagine, the stock numbers are, are right down. We're we're down to a sort of a uh, a very core breeding flock of of ewes now. We've got dameras here, meat sheep, but uh, again, we're giving the goats a bloody hard time. Um, we're doing a fair bit of shooting. Or any other animals that are grazing on the land, kangaroos, emus, rabbits. Buddy. The Khaleesi virus is working here. I mean, those numbers are fairly low. So we're pretty much just trying to control the, the total grazing population on the place. But, you know, like I say, these, these longer extended windy periods are, um, are almost as damaging as, as having no rain. It hasn't, it hasn't beaten us yet, um, that's for sure. We've got another few years in us yet. You obviously love the land and, and you're out there for a reason, um, but it has been a long dry spell for you. How much longer do you think you can stay out there if things continue the way they are? Oh, crikey, how long's a bit of string? You know, again, we're, we're another day closer to a good shower of rain and, uh, you know, I fully expect it'll come round. This is the, the longest dry spell. There was a back in the early 50s on the rainfall charts there. I think they had five years are well below average so we're coming into um into this year will be eight years we're, we're getting closer michelle to a to another shower and that's really the only way you can look at it tim meacham from quabba station that's just north of carnarvon on the coast and tim said he's trapping the goats on his property because at the moment billy goats are worth twice as much as sheep, so I reckon that might be uh, helping tide him over at the moment. Also, they have a, a tourism arm to their business, which would certainly help. But earlier, Maury Sivright at Glen Station near Kew was telling us it's pretty dry and dusty at his place. He's had no useful rain for about 12 months and no decent winter rain for about 20 years. He's got about 60 head of cattle left, which he's hand-feeding, 
but he reckons without the rain, he'll look to be selling those soon as well. So at the moment, I'm hand feeding. I have been all this year and um, late last year, hand feeding the lot. How are you going sourcing hay? Because that was a bit in short supply there. Yeah, Joe, normally I get my hay from around the Jelton area, but obviously that didn't happen uh, at all this year because it was, you know, everything was bought up around Jelton early and we've also got uh, hay out of Esperance. That's not, that's not the hay run hay, that's stuff that we've bought out of Esperance. Geez, that's a fair hike from Kew to Esperance. Yes, well, we're, we're 1,200 k's from here to Esperance. Mm. How long can yep. you keep hand feeding and, and carrying those cattle that you've got left? Joe, uh, to be quite honest with you, um, I don't think we can keep going much longer, except that the weather is cooler, so therefore they're going a little bit further away from water points. The start, if we don't get a winter rain, come the start of summer, then I'm, uh, I think all these cattle will have to go. Mm. What's the feel that you're getting from the season, Murray? You've been out there for long enough. You get a bit of a feel for it. What's your gut telling you? Joe, I'd like to believe my gut and think that we're going to get a winter rain. You know, with that blow that we had last week, which, should, which everyone should have got rain, but none of us up here did get rain. The old saying is that uh, rain normally follows rain, and uh, even though we didn't get it last week because it didn't come inland enough, but I think, you know, I'm hoping that shortly we will get a rain. Let's hope he's correct. That's Murray Sivright from Glen Station. He was speaking there with Joe Prendergast. Now, on the text line, someone says, a lot of issues lay at the feet of the media who is all based in Perth. Just because they see and hear, they write headlines like once-in-a-decade downpours, everyday city people think that the rain falls everywhere, then think we're whinging farmers, when stories like today's are broadcast because the listeners think there have been plenty of rain. I would like to assure you I'm not sitting in Perth. I'm actually sitting in Caratha, which, yes, it's uh, very blue skies and sunny up here at the moment, but not all of us in Perth. And we do like to make sure we can find out how things are looking at your place and, and get that story out to you. Um, the the last texter might be right, though, when he uh, says that it comes down to the uh, the Perth media seeing the rainfall down in Perth. It's 31 mils fell in Perth in the last 24 hours. So you might have the right sentiment there. Dennis has also texted in to say, hey, had a nice storm go through three springs today. A nice 69 millimetres. He runs some sort of ag services business and says the chemicals are selling well today. I hope that goes well for you, Dennis. And someone else has texted in an image from east of Newdigate. Looks like a, a bit of rain out there as well. I hope you do get a downfall wherever you are. It's 20 past 12. Michelle Stanley with you on the Country Hour. Taking a look at the areas still experiencing some sort of dry or drought in WA at the moment and let's head to the gold fields where Justin Stevens runs cattle at Mount Vetter's station that's just north of Kalgoorlie. He says after culling their herd heavily last year they were relieved to get some rain over the summer. Um, we had pretty good rain through December, late December, January, February. I think we ended up with about 120 odd millimetres over that nine week period so that was a, a pretty good start. It's been pretty rain since then but um we're still okay as far as you know moisture goes. That would be nice to get, nice to get a winter rain soon. Uh, how common is it for you guys to get good winter rain? So I guess we like the sort of the marginal areas in the wheat belt. We can um, we can have some pretty pretty dry winters and we can have some good ones just depending on 
on the season, but um, I think the, the Bureau's forecasting a pretty good pretty good sort of uh, May-June, so we're, we're hanging out for that and hopefully it eventuates. That was Justin Stevens from Mount Vetter's station north of Kalgoorlie. He was speaking there with... Emma Field. Uh, I mentioned just a moment ago that there was a photo come in from east of Newdigate. I thought it might have been rain, but unfortunately the texter has just come back and said, it's just dust. I'm very sorry to hear that. I hope your uh, fortunes change out of Newdigate. Uh, someone has texted, not a group of seniors has texted in to say, read the rain. They would love to hear more about the rain from the Bureau. The forecast today seems like they're chucking a dart at a board and someone else says even today's promised severe weather with heavy rain forecast is quickly slipping past the southwest corner very shortly we will catch up with the bureau of meteorology and find out exactly how much rain you hopefully will will have on your property Uh, it's 22 past 12 the department of primary industries and regional development is saying now that one in five WA pastoral stations could still be in a very serious dry situation. But I wonder how things are looking at your place. We are at the end of May. Are you sitting above, below or on your average rainfall this year, I wonder? And I wonder what about the last few years? 0448922604 is that text line to share your thoughts today. Deepherd is using the word patchy to describe parts of WA which are still in drought. So in the north, right up in the north, you know, they missed out on um, you know, the wet season. It was um, one of the driest since 2004, 2005. So in the second well below average uh, northern wet season in a row. So that's really put pressure on the, the northern pastoral area. And while we've had some, some very wild weather in the last few days through most of the southwest again it's you know not accounting for the damage that's been done but rainfall figures have been um, very patchy again so uh, i think farmers in general would, would be hoping for a more consistent rainfall but in, in terms of, uh, of dry season certainly the areas uh, down in the noangra up uh, up type area so a lot of dams would be empty You'd still be carting water down there for stock and stock feed would be very, very low. So there wouldn't be a lot of pasture growth at this stage. There would still be you know, quite significant parts of the state that would really be feeling the pinch in terms of, um, of lack of feed and, and water for, for stock and, and crops uh, would be just, um, just getting going. But we really need a good boost now to, to, to see them through for, for a good season. How serious is it? You know, what kind of rainfall or minimal rainfall are these areas seeing? Some of them are getting their sort of 20 to 30 mils, but then uh, others are only getting you know, four to five mils, which is enough to you know, dampen the dust a little, but um, it's just not getting enough inconsistent rain. So, you know, week after week to really get things, get that subsoil moisture up and get some really good growth happening. Do you know what areas are still carting water? Yes, yeah, so certainly down in the, in, the, in the south of the state. There's a number of shires that are still carting water. You know, because they will need some very heavy falls or and regular falls to to not only wet the soil but then get start to get some runoff. So um, it's going to be some time, I think, before they they can stop carting water. Deeper Director of Livestock Research and Industry Innovation, Bruce Mullen, speaking with James Liveris. Now, Jerramungup is in WA's Great Southern Region. It's about a two-hour drive east of Albany. 
And it was one of the first places in WA to be declared water deficient in this current dry. Bill Bailey farms there and says things are about as tough as he's ever seen them. Extremely concerning. I'd say just about everybody in the district has been flat out cleaning dams, cleaning catchments, making sure gutterings and tanks are all have the fullest ability to be able to catch water. But we're just not getting any normal runoff amounts of rainfall and instead of having the 10 to 20 mils, uh, we've been down at around the 5 mils and uh, it doesn't run, run water. We're into late May now and obviously uh, winter is just a few days away, but do you want to just paint me a picture of how it looks out where you are? It all looks reasonably good. I think we've all got used to this dry land farming now, but we need follow-up rains desperately. Uh, for this period, I think this will be the third season we've had it as a dry, drier than normal for sure. Um, and have you ever known that in the past, to have essentially no, three years in a row like that? Definitely not. So how testing has that been for you and for your neighbours? Very testing. Uh, people have had to make very sound decisions of uh, what their program is and what the, what their th- thoughts are how to manage it. It's uh, been in technology, it's been in um, livestock management, uh, what what you do with your paddocks in the seeding, how much uh, fertiliser, etc. You, you expose yourself to for making sure you're going to get a return on your dollar. You're a mixed farmer, so you have exposure not only on the cropping side but on the livestock side. Have you had to make any decisions you know, big decisions around how you reconcile those two parts of the business in response to the dry? Definitely. uh, We've had to uh, unload quite a bit of livestock over the last three years from time to time and just increase the livestock back up again now. So if we're not looking for a good rainfall pattern soon, we may have to unload uh, more more livestock. The farming practices have a lot of confidence in what we can do with dry land farming now. So it's making sure that you make the best of the opportunities while you can, uh, knowing that your window is smaller, so the crop's got to be in the ground to make sure you get the uh, full value of every small bit of moisture that comes. Bill, obviously things are a little bit tight at your place, but what about the broader area? Are you alone or do you know of plenty others in a similar position? It's not only Jerramunga. You could put a compass at uh, Jerramunga and circle right down to the Gardner River, Boxford Hills region, right out to the Ongar Borden region. You're going uh, north, you'll be through the Pingarup, into the Lake Grace region, across the Nudiat, even as far out as uh, Varley, the County Water Suter there, into the uh, West River region. It's been a, a dry circle for the whole uh, region for about you know, the two to three years, and it really is concerning just the massive size of it all and how we can keep with the water. Bill Bailey is a mixed farmer at Jerramungup, east of Albany. He was speaking there with Daniel Mercer. And he says that if it weren't for the efforts of the state government and the Water Corp to cart water to his area, things would be a lot worse than they are. Now, I was hoping to chat with State Agriculture Minister Alana McTiernan today about the dry conditions currently, just to see if there's anything being done to help landholders who are still struggling Unsurprisingly, the minister is tied up in COVID-19 meetings today, but Tony Seabrook is the head of the Pastoralists and Graziers Association. Tony, what's your take on the situation? 
Michelle, I think the one thing that's come through is the patchy nature of the dry. Uh, some people are doing okay and some are having a very, very, very tough time. Uh, I think within the ag area, we all need to consider that it is still only May. Our average break is the 21st of May where I am and uh, last year was about the 7th of June. So it's early yet and but we're a pretty optimistic bunch. At the end of the day, what you do is you clean your dams out, you clean your catchments, you do everything you possibly can and uh, hopefully that when the winter rains come, it will turn it around for the whole state. You say it is early and, and the, you know, the break could still come, but we just heard from some of these pastoralists who have been saying it's not just the last few months they've been dry, they're talking years. Can anything be done to help the pastoralists who are doing it tough, do you think? Michelle, look, the issue here, it's huge. When, when you're in a pastoral operation, uh, destocking is obviously the first thing you do. But for the state government to be asked to help, there's not much that can happen. The cost of carting fodder in there and, and subsidising it, it hasn't worked that well in the past. The, the, the most critical thing of all in, in the isolated pastoral estate is to make certain that people have enough uh, income within their household uh, to maintain themselves and, and, and to avoid that depression trap that you can easily fall into. So, look, when you ask what the state government might do, the first drought we had here was in 69, the first one that most people I grew up with can recall. Uh, in the very early 90s, Ernie Bridges, Minister for Agriculture, came up with a scheme uh, to assist farmers to get water, government water, uh, onto property. And, and that scheme involved uh, farmers contributing 50% of the cost. And that translated into uh, that the, the government or the water authority supplied the pipe we buried it. We did a 27-kilometre extension, and so it was a cooperative thing, and maybe that is something that needs to be looked at again. Would you be calling on the state or federal government to be doing anything else uh, aside from that suggestion just now? Look, it's a, it's a really bad look when an industry has to run to government cap in hand every time we're confronted with adverse circumstances. Um, when I look at what happened when the virus hit and the, the lockdowns occurred, within two or three days, the whole of the city was rushing to seek government assistance. We're a pretty resilient, resourceful bunch, and it takes an awful lot for a farmer to sort of throw the towel in and say, look, I, I need you to help me. You know, we can work our way through this. We need a bit of help, for sure, uh, on occasion. But apart from perhaps the provision of, of a good supply of water to a standpipe, uh, which I think uh, is not an unreasonable ask, uh, because every household has you know, a reasonable right to uh, enough water to cook and shower. Um, but I can't see the government can have much of a role in, in rolling out pipelines all over the wheat belt to supply livestock. You know, it's, they, they won't do that and the cost would be huge. Tony Seabrook, Head of the Pastoralists and Graziers Association, thanks for your time on the Country Hour. Sure, thank you very much. It's 28 to 1. The WA Country Hour with Michelle Stanley on ABC Radio WA. Now let's head to the newsroom. Brianna Shepherd joins me for some news headlines. Brianna? Hello. The Prime Minister has announced National Cabinet has agreed to abolish the Council of Australian Governments. COAG will be replaced by the National Cabinet permanently and Scott Morrison says it will be driven by a single agenda to create jobs. Fortescue Metals Group has been unsuccessful in its bid to appeal a native title determination over one of its West Australian iron ore mines. 
The company was seeking to contest the exclusive possession rights of the Injinbandi people over land in the Pilbara that includes the site of its multi-billion dollar Solomon mine hub. The High Court today rejected the company's application for special leave to have the case heard with costs to be paid by FMG. And riots have broken out for the third day in a row in the US city of Minneapolis after the death earlier this week of an unarmed black man in police custody. 46-year-old George Floyd died shortly after a white police officer knelt his knee into the back of his head for almost 10 minutes. And there'll be more news at one o'clock. Thanks, Brianna. And we will also be checking in with the Indibani Aboriginal Corporation to hear their reaction to that decision from the High Court very shortly. Uh, we'll check in. That that just came through in the last couple of hours, so pretty fresh news there. Uh, let's head to the Weather Bureau first, though. Austin Watkins, uh, shall we kick it off in the south today? Yeah, sure can, Michelle. Um, so we've got, got that uh, cold front moving through the southwest at the moment. So that's producing some um, really good rainfall totals uh, through the lower west and the southwest and just the adjacent Great Southern there. There are some isolated thunderstorms and, and widespread showers and we may see some damaging gusts to 100 kilometres per hour associated with some of those showers and storms and some normally high tides as well along uh, the coastal parts. But um, once we see that front um, push through, by tomorrow morning, we'll see just the remnants of that um, front through the, the far eastern parts of the Southwest Land Division and the Southeast Coastal District um, during the morning, and we may see some isolated thunderstorms just in the south coastal or the Southeast Coastal District and along the south coast as well. Um, and there is a possibility of some small hail as well with the cold pool uh, moving behind that front. But uh, those showers through that region will contract to the coast and. Um, in the wake of that front with that cold pool and, and a ridge developing through the Midwest, we'll see shower activity continuing along the, uh, the West Coast, pretty much to the, um, oh, pretty much actually whole, whole way up the West Coast and then contracting to probably south of around Durian uh, Bay and um, yeah, down around the Southwest as well. And, and maybe just adjacent in our parts, we'll also see some shower activity and that'll be more likely during the morning and during the evening period. And then as, as we move into um, Sunday, we'll, just, we'll see the shower activity increase once again as another cold front pushes um, across the south coast uh, during the day. And the ridge of high pressure will, will persist through the Midwest, but it'll migrate south later in the day. So showers essentially anywhere southwest of a line from uh, Geraldton to Israelite Bay, and then they'll contract again back towards the southeast coast um, later in the day. Generally light falls though. Um, associated with that but maybe some um, you know up to five to ten millimeters along the south coast with the, uh, the passage of that front and and then on Monday and Tuesday uh, we see the ridge of high pressure um, pretty much established along the, or the south of the state really so um, there is the chance of some showers uh, near the south coast on Monday and then by early Tuesday those showers will start to clear off and um, we should have pretty much dry conditions throughout the southwest land division um, after some sort of sunrise on Tuesday. So best of the rain really is going to be with this feature uh, today and then uh, with the next cold front um, bringing some further rainfall, but really just the coastal parts um, with that second front and the best the ag areas will get will be with this front uh, today and then overnight tonight. How about in the north of the state? Is it looking to dry up? Uh, most of the north and the east of the state is uh, fairly dry. However, there is... Uh, Still quite a lot of cloud through the, um, the west and the south Kimberley, through the eastern Pilbara in the interior. We are seeing some patchy showers 
from that activity, but very isolated. So, um, yeah, 0.2 of a millimetre we've seen at uh, Derby and haven't really recorded anything else. But during tomorrow, there is still the risk that we may see some of that activity through those regions. And even um, an isolated thunderstorm near the uh, West Kimberley coast is possible. Uh, But generally, uh, we'll start to see that activity clear away um, during tomorrow. So remaining pretty much uh, dry through the northern half of the state uh, Sunday, Monday and Tuesday. And just in the eastern parts of the uh, the state, we'll see um, the weakening of that cold front um, through the gold fields, uh, the adjacent um, Gascoigne and the uh, Eucla as well uh, during the day. And the shower activity will then be really just confined to the Eucla coast uh, through Sunday Monday and Tuesday as we have a little bit of onshore flow through there but um, yeah nothing significant in the way of falls expected um, at all through the uh, the northern and eastern parts of the state over the coming days. And how about any warnings around the state today? Yeah there are a few warnings current the severe weather warning as I mentioned for damaging winds and normally high tides pretty much anywhere southwest of a line from Lansland down to uh, Bremer Bay. We've got uh, strong wind warning uh, also current from around Durian Bay right round to the South Australian border and that includes uh, the risk of gale force winds uh, along the uh, south coast with the passage of this front and then the approach of the, uh, the next front on uh, Sunday. Uh, we've also got a road weather alert uh, for the Perth metropolitan area with uh, reduced visibility in those heavy showers and there's also going to be a sheep, sheep graziers, graziers warning as well with some cold air and um, some precipitation in the wake of this front. Austin Watkins from the Bureau of Meteorology, thanks for your time on the Country Hour this afternoon. No worries, thank you. And Richard Hudson joins you with some rainfall totals. Richard? Yeah, sorry, Austin, just uh, lowered your levels a tiny bit early there. Jump the gun. It's, uh, it's me time now. Um, in the northern and eastern forecast districts, up in the Kimberley, Cambellan, 5 mils. Derby had between 8 and 11 mils. Jubilee Downs, Udiella and Curtin all had 6 mils. Kimbolton, 46, and Yampi Sound had 30. No rainfall at all reported for the Pilbara, Gascoigne, Interior, Goldfields, Eucla districts or out on the islands. So it just... Uh, continues unfortunately but as Austin was saying there has been a bit of rain around in the southwest land division in the central west Durian Bay and Port Denison both had five mils in the lower west Ankatel 18 Bickley 28 Dwelling up 21, Gidgigan up 7, Glen Eagle 29, Jarrodale had 38 to 47 at three different locations. Julemar Forest only had two mills. I don't know why I read that one out. Carrigallan North 23, Lancelin East 9, Mandurah had 6, Mount Solis 40, Mundaring 12, Pierce at the Raft Base 6, Pinjarra 19 and Pinjarra South 11, Rollystone 24, Serpentine 27, Wanneroo 8 and Waruna had 9, Werribee not worth mentioning, Whiteman Park 17. In the southwest, Bailing up 17, Boyne up north 12, Bridgetown 5, Brunswick Junction 10, Bunbury 9, Bustleton Airport had 15, Cape Lewin 23, Cape Naturalist 6, Capel 12 to 13 mils, Carlotta 8, Chapman Hill Road 7, Collie East 18, Coram up 5, Darden up East 17, Dinan up 8, Donnybrook 17 to 23 mils, Doyle Road 5, Ferguson Valley 23 and at the alert station there 16, Four Acres 7, Happy Valley Alert Station 13, Harvey 12, Hentybrook 13, Jarrowwood 14, Jindong 7, Carrydale 18, Logebrook 25, Ludlow 5, Manjum up 6 to 8, Margaret River 13 to 18 at a few locations, Mayan up south 7, McAlinden 23, Millian up 5, 
Mount William, 21. Nanup and Newbercup both had six mils. Newlands, 16. Northcliffe, 13. Payndale Alert Station, 12. Pemberton, 6. Ravenscliff Alert Station, 14. Rosabrook, 9. Scott River, 20. Shannon, 7. Somme Creek, 6. Thompsonbrook, 27. Vass, 6. Walpole Forestry, 7. Warner Glen, 17. Windy Harbour, 38. Wackalup, 7. Wesley Downs, 30. Yanmar, 8. And Yungarill up had 5. And then in the Great Southern Region, Boddington North, 14. Coondee, 7. Quartering, 6. Calford, 19. Darken, 5. Katanning, 6. Maradong, 9. Pingerley West, 7. Quail up, 8. Wandering had 6. And Williams had 7. And if you're looking at reading just a little bit more about that drought story that we featured in the first half, there is an online article and it's up on the ABC Rural Facebook page. Nice and easy to find. Holy dooly, Richard. You said uh, a bit of me time. You had a fair, fair amount of it. Oh, yeah, I love it when it rains. Just have even more <laughs> me time, yeah. Just love the sound of your own voice. Richard Hudson there with uh, the rainfall. And we we all love it when it rains. So hopefully you do get a bit more out where you are. Except uh, Belle. Some, Belle doesn't it, like it when it rains because oh. then it's more me time instead of her time. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sure she likes the idea of rain. She just doesn't like hearing you, you talk exactly. about it. <laughs> Now, on the text line, 0448922604, an anonymous texter, please do uh, let me know who you are when you're texting in. Um, they've said they're carting water for boom sprays to get seeding done. All dams are dried up. The wind is stuck in the northwest. It needs to go to the southwest to benefit from any of this rain. It's very dry inland east of Esperance. They've had six millimetres for the month. Another anonymous text says, uh, heavy rain to the north and east and to the south of Mount Barker, but again, nothing in the Bermuda Triangle in the Great Southern from the Stirlings to Broomhill East to Jerramungup. The millennium drought of 2000 to 2002 is as bad as these last three years. My mum and, and stepdad actually have a, a farm in the uh, just the other side of the Stirlings, and I reckon they would agree that Bermuda Triangle extends just the other side of the Stirlings as well. Uh, and Sean says, G'day from Geraldton. Not long before we have you down here, I'm told. There's not much rain here, more dust than rain last week. You are right, Sean. I'm packing up. I'm leaving the country hour and I will be joining you in Geraldton soon. But I do hope you get a little bit more rain than dust. It's six, uh, 17 to 1 on the country hour. The WA Country Hour with Michelle Stanley on ABC Radio WA. Now, it's been roughly a month since we told you about a dodgy website which was pretending to sell farm machinery. People around Australia lost tens of thousands of dollars after thinking they'd purchased a tractor or piece of machinery, but it never turned up. And since then... More fake farm machinery websites have appeared on the internet and unfortunately more people have lost money. Paul Servach is a compliance coordinator with WA ScamNet. Paul, we've spoken about the fake website which was pretending to be borer machinery. That's yep. closed down now, but how many others have appeared in its place? So we've we've found another four um, from from the reports that we're receiving. Um, nine of which we've had um, have lost money. Um, so we're looking at websites like geigertractors.com, abmfarming.com, apaagricultures.com, and shinemachinery.com. Um, and there's there's probably plenty more out there. Um, and the more reports we receive, the more information we get. 
Yeah, we need to make it really clear here that we are talking about these fake websites only. And and that's important because sometimes these scammers copy the name and the details of legitimate machinery businesses, don't they? How much money are you aware that has been lost lately through these dodgy sites? Uh, So at the moment, the total uh, that victims have lost is $142,975. And yeah, like that. These websites are using um, variants of legitimate businesses' names um, to to make themselves look legit, um, and it's it's convincing people that they're real and they're handing over their money. Yeah, it's quite a lot of money in total that's been lost. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. We don't like seeing this amount for losses, um, and that's why we're trying to get the word out there about these scams and hopefully get people to start thinking about the purchase that they're making and what websites they're looking at before they actually hand over money. So what's an example of how someone has been scammed? What process have they gone through? Uh, so what, what's happened is they're usually just on uh, Google or even just browsing on uh, Facebook. Uh, and they get targeted with a sponsored ad or a search result says, you know, cheap farm machinery or something like that. So they'll click on the link. Um, the the web pages usually look um, good enough. There's a number of machinery on there. Um, it's it's well below market value for the, for the machines. Um, and it's, it's in a very attractive discount considering how much uh, you usually spend on these types of um, – this type of gear – uh, they, they get in contact with the website and then, you know, eventually they, they agree to, to bank transfer funds to these people um, or to the to the transport company that's um, apparently going to be uh, delivering the equipment and then they never hear anything again. Yeah, these websites are really slick. How can people tell the difference, I suppose? How can they not get sucked in? And, and I guess should they be checking how long the sites have been up? Yeah, look, there's a couple of things uh, that you can do to, to check a, a website. Um, the, the, there's a lot out there, a lot of ways to to determine if it is fake or not. But, yeah, one of the things is how old the website is and what they're claiming on, on the actual website in the About Us section. Um, there's, there's a number of tools online that you can basically plug the URL in and it will give you some stats and information about the sites. We use scamadvisor.com. Um, but there's plenty of other ones out there and it will give you a bit of a rating on how legitimate the website might be, but it will also give you that back-end information telling you that it's X amount of days old, um, where it might be located. And those are all uh, good red flags on if the, the website's a scam. A couple of other things we look out for is whether or not they actually give you a specific location um, for where the, the business is meant to be located. And if they do, um, check it on Google Maps, have a look. You know, if it's just a warehouse, like, is that really where they'd be keeping farming machinery? Or if it's a residential address, that doesn't seem right. But, you know, if it's a, it's, if it's a yard where you can see the machinery, then, you know, maybe it might be legitimate. Um, but the biggest thing is always, if they ask you to pay by bank transfer, be cautious, and that's when you really need to start doing your checks and making sure that they're legitimate before you actually send that money. Paul Servach is a compliance coordinator with WA ScamNet. Now, Paul, why can't you just take these dodgy websites down? Uh, we'd love to. <laughs> that would make things a lot easier. Um, but because they're in the dot-com space, uh, that's 
basically a worldwide thing. Um, the domain hold the hosts and server hosts that actually hold the website information are usually not located in Australia. So we need to send them requests um, to, to have the website taken down. And it's uh, for, for those ones, it's a lot of the situation where you need to either give a lot of good information or they need to be receiving a lot of complaints about those websites to eventually get them taken down. And that's why we put out these sorts of warnings on, uh, through through the media, through our social media, um, to get the word out before the websites actually get taken down. Paul Servatch, Compliance Coordinator with WA ScamNet. Thanks for your time on the Country Hour this afternoon. It's 11 to 1. Michelle Stanley with you. And as you heard in the news headlines earlier, FMG's request for a High Court appeal of an exclusive native title determination has been thrown out. The Federal Court awarded Pilbara's Injabandi traditional owners exclusive native title rights over 2,700 square kilometres of land, which includes FMG's multi-billion dollar Solomon Mine Hub. Now, FMG requested a High Court appeal, but just a couple of hours ago, the High Court rejected that request. Michael Woodley is the CEO of the Injabandi Aboriginal Corporation, he says he's over the moon. I'm lost for words in terms of how I feel. I just, just a real jubilant sort of moment today and, 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 and one that I think we can rest easy now in terms of knowing that this is the end, you know. I, 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 I'd like to say that this is the, you know, the, the end of a, of a rich man's poor ambition of trying to, you know, of trying to bring the Ijibwani down. And, 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 and I'm looking forward, and we're looking forward, the Ijibwani people, of taking the next steps what are the next steps? Well, putting in a compensation claim, you know, for a mining company that is, um, uh, 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 um, you know, um, operating on our country illegally. If we hit the ground running now, we, we think that we might can have an application to the to the federal court within the you know within the three to six months, I think. But look, that's that's you know that's what we're aiming to do. But we're gonna we're gonna certainly work very hard in trying to reach that target. And what are the plans for how you will use the compensation in the community with the community? Well, again, adding value to the community, you know, bringing people along with the journey, you know, obviously fixing up uh, uh, really all of the challenges and struggles that we have, both socially, culturally and economically, you know. Uh, we want to we want to we want to look at you know obviously supporting the town of Robin and the and 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 surrounding towns as well that you know obviously look after uh, uh, you know First Nations people and people who live in this area. Um, I stated before that you know our 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 focus is to stay home, you know, and and try and add value and um, and and give the next generation some hope moving forward. Do you have any messages for mining companies in regards to native title from here on in? Do the right thing. <laughs> you know, it's as simple as that, right? I mean, there's there's no threat in terms of having a good relationship with First Nations people, you know. Uh, just got to do the right thing. You have to understand that this is our land. History proves that. We've been denied all of, our, all of, all of, all of the rights as First Nations people. We, we're at a stage in, 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 in time now, which is 2020. I think it's you know a, a good start for people to build relationship, positive relationships and, again, add value to where we are. Michael Woodley is the CEO of the Indibandi Aboriginal Corporation. Speaking with Susan Standen just uh, an hour or two ago after the decision handed down by the High Court today, and there's more of that story on the ABC website. Eight minutes to one o'clock. Now, one year ago, 
Alan Sattler turned onto a dark gravel road in WA's remote Wheatbelt region and fell asleep at the wheel. The crash which ensued left the farmer hospitalised for months, but the experience was a turning point in his long-running battle with mental and physical health and alcohol abuse. Alan Sattler sat down with John Daly to share his story on the first anniversary of his crash. It all came to a crunch on the 24th of May. I was about four and a half k's from the house at Calabaran and I fell asleep behind the wheel. Hit a tree, destroyed, completely destroyed the ute and in the process of doing that I damn near destroyed myself. Decent smack in the head, broken ribs, fractured vertebrae and the biggest injury was I broke so the ball my, uh, of my hip went out the, out the back of the socket of, of, the, um, of the pelvis and smashed the pelvis up. Before the crash had happened, what was your lifestyle like then? How were you feeling, I suppose, and how were you behaving? Uh, overweight, hugely overweight, working hard playing harder so basically uh, I was a big drinker you know well what I classify as a big drinker if it was five cans it was 10 if it was 10 it was 15 and that was you know and that was sort of every night and occasionally and well not you know then probably once a week I'd jump into the scotch bottle and for me it was normal right. oh, I struggled with everything you know there's there was no doubt you know you just drink the drinking was to make you feel better to make the you know and it was just a vicious circle I got to about four weeks in and I'm laying in hospital bent, buckled and broken and I couldn't work out why I was happy. Long discussion with the nurse at the time and she said, you know, wait till you get to six weeks because that's how long it takes for the alcohol to get out of your system. We've come out the other side, uh, relationships with my family, with my son, daughters, and son, sons and daughters, uh, grandkids, daughter-in-laws, wife, mother-in-law own parents say it's all a lot better than what it ever used to be. I've probably worked harder at trying to repair everything that's, you know, happened over over the last few years and yeah, I mean as a family unit we're we're working a lot better with a huge improvement. I mean how do you feel about the accident now, you know, when you look back on it? Accident that probably needed to happen, uh, something needed to happen to make me change what I was, how I was. It's a life-changing event for me, for family. Want a coffee? Mm, I suppose. Jo Sattler still has vivid memories of her husband's crash. I could see some lights down at the road, but I just assumed that that was our neighbours because they were going to start seeding down there shortly anyway. So I sort of dismissed that for a bit uh, and went back inside and, you know, put the dinner on the table and I said to one of the guys, I said, can you just go out onto the, um, the veranda, onto the deck and tell me what that vehicle is doing down there? Is it stationary or is it moving? Is it our neighbours? And um, he went out, stood there for a second, came back in and said, no, no, it's not moving. And I just placed the meal down on the table and I turned to him and I said, I think Alan might have come to grief. I'll just go down and check. I went down, of course, here, yeah, and was Alan parked up against a tree, and it was a bit, bit confronting. It was something that you sort of um, 
you play over in your mind, seeing that sort of scene when you first rock up to, well, anybody that comes across a, a major road accident, they'd play over their mind. Been been a year since it had happened, but it sounds like there's been some big cha- changes in Alan, not just, you know, as a result of the injuries, but also as a person. Well, he's become quite the advocate for... Um, Fatigue, so fatigue management and, and that. He's had a couple of uh, stints where he's been talking in front of, in front of people and, um, yeah, I think he says, well, if I bang on about it, you know, if it saves one life, that means a lot. Mm. <laughs> you love me, bud? No, no. Where I've been now. <laughs> Are you proud of him? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I am very proud of him. I'm proud that, yeah, he's got a great relationship now with his kids and, and he's given up drinking alcohol and, yeah, he's sort of back to basically that fellow that I met however many years ago. <laughs> yeah. why, why do you think it takes something like that to, you know, to bring about that change? It's such a, a shock to your system that it sort of shocks you into making a change. Since this has all happened and I've just laid everything on Twitter, you know, and just told it how it was, um, because, like I said, if it saves one one fellow, one, one person stops drinking so much, yeah, done the job. That's, you know, and that's all it is. It's just, it's all about trying to, it's not about poor me or anything like that. Uh, just, it's about trying to get the message out there that booze, mental health, etc. Don't mi- you know? It just doesn't mix. Western Australian farmer Alan Sattler speaking with John Daly. Now, at long last, there was finally a bit of relief on the wool market this week with renewed confidence among buyers. Elders Southern Wool's sales manager Alice Wilsden has the details. Finally, there's some good news to be shared with a positive result over all selling centres this week. It was a very small offering this week of only 18,828 bales offered with a 7.9% passed-in rate. Sydney and Melbourne started selling the week on Tuesday with a renewed confidence from buyers on the back of some global restrictions relaxed. We saw some good bidding and the market finished 3 to 32 cents dearer over the two centres. Fremantle was another one-day sale offering on the Wednesday with Melbourne and was able to pick up some of the ground gained on the Tuesday and posted gains over all the microns. Melbourne's activity slowed and microns remained relatively unchanged on the Wednesday. The Eastern Market Indicator finished at 1170 cents, which was up 15 cents, and the Western Market Indicator finished at 1239 cents, which was up 25 cents. And a bit of a closer look at how things went in the West. How did it go? Yeah, well, Fremantle only had a small offering of 4,129 bows this week and had 14% withdrawal prior to sale and another 10% was passed in. Buyer sediment this week was very much improved and we enjoyed some vigorous bidding over the lines. The final end was well supported and was able to post gains of 30 to 40 cents. Mid to Brawn fleeces also enjoyed renewed activity and was able to post gains of 25 to 40 cents. Good yielding types were highly sought after, posting good premiums in the sale. Major buyers in Fremantle were PJ Morris, 
tech wool trading and West Coast wools. Elders Southern Wool Sales Manager Alice Wilsden speaking there with John Daly. That's it for the Country Hour today. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Uh, Daniel in Gardner says he's had six meals in the last two hours. I guess you make your own luck in the valley. Thanks, Daniel, and everyone else who got in touch with the program this afternoon. Belinda Varasgetti back with you on Monday, but it's news time now. It's one o'clock. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.